Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, church family, if you've got your Bibles today, I would encourage you to get them opened uh, to the book of Romans. We are going to be today in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and I'm super excited uh, to be able to talk today around this amazing chapter of the Bible. We've been in our uh, study of Romans now for many months, and this morning we continue And we really are turning a corner, you guys, uh, in the book of Romans. And we'll talk about that more in a second. Here at ICC, we always talk about how we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. And today, truly, we're going to be talking a lot about transformation, all right? Um, We're going to be talking a lot about what God wants to do within us that seeps out of us into every nook and cranny of our lives. And so if you're taking notes this morning, and I hope you will, the title of today's message is Transformed by God's Mercy. Transformed by God's Mercy. And this comes um, from Romans chapter 12. We've been saying week after week that the gospel is foundational and transformational for life with God now and forever. And today, we're getting into the transformational part. The gospel, of course, what we've been talking about is good news. The gospel is not a set of instructions for you to live by. It's not a a way for us to go, okay, you know, here's some things that you could do in order to be saved. Um, Rather, it's news of what God has done for you. Good news of a good God, of a gracious God, of a glorious God. Good news of a God who saw what you needed. And while you were still in your rebellion against him, Romans 5, 8 says, he gave his son, Jesus, to die for you. A God who gave you grace. A God who came to live so that you might have righteousness that you so desperately need but don't have in and of yourselves because of your sin. A God who came to offer you forgiveness by dying on the cross, taking your place. A God who is willing and able to forgive you of all of your sin. Forgiveness that you so desperately need. A God who went to the grave on your behalf to put death away and after three days rose from the dead. A God who lives today a God who has victory over all things, a God who is able, powerful, to make you new, a God who will come again to redeem all who trust in him. This is the good news of the gospel, a good God who has done a complete work for you that as you trust in him, you might have renewed relationship with him now and forevermore. The good news of the gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17, y'all can recite it with me. We've been talking about it for months now. For I am, okay, this is low energy Sunday apparently. All right, we'll try it again. I just got back from India last night and I would just encourage you to give a little more energy than I feel like I have right now, okay? 
Um, so, some of y'all might have gone to Memphis and Maine last night. That's what I'm thinking. I heard the boom, boom, boom till 2 a.m. on Mud Island. Anybody live on Mud Island? Anybody annoyed with that festival? Okay. Good. I mean, I love the folks down there, but I really wish they'd stop playing music at 11 p.m. So anyway, a little more energy this morning. Um, here we go. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. No, we are not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ because we know in the good news of Jesus is the dunamis, the power, the explosive opportunity to to see God working in your life for all who believe. The gospel is foundational and it's transformational for life with God now and forevermore. We never, ever grow tired of talking about our Savior, Jesus Christ. We continue to want to know him and to know him more. So this morning, Romans chapter 12, and really, if you remember the structure of the book, um, essentially what's happening is we are now full on in the midst of this transition right here. Into Romans chapter 12, we are moving from this introduction of these amazing gospel realities, the reality of who God is and what he's done in Jesus Christ, and now moving into talking about how that changes everything in our lives. So we are literally at the turning point right here at chapter 12. And so as we do this, what you're going to be finding is these incredibly practical uh, conversations around real life in your neighborhood and as a citizen of this country, um, with your friendships, in your family relationships, with people who have hurt you in your life. We'll be talking some about that today. With people who come against you, people you don't like so much. Um, how does it look within the church? What does it look like to be a part of the body of Christ and to serve with the gifts that you have? We're going to be talking about all of these very practical everyday life conversations as they relate to the realities of what God has done for us. So we're going to be moving from the foundational to the transformational to these real life applications from these indicative things. Here's what God has done to these imperative things now. Here's what you are called to do from knowing what it is that we are to believe and then understanding how that is that it changes how we behave from learning to living. So, I want to start this morning by reading the text. It's only 21 verses. We'll start in verse 1, and I read from the ESV. You follow along uh, here on the screen, or if you've got your Bible, I actually prefer you to just read there in your Bible uh, so that you can really follow along with the text. Hopefully mark up the text or in your notes as we go through, because my aim this morning is not to give you a cute little sermon that I've devised, but rather to just help you see the sermon that's already written here in the text itself, starting in verse one. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is 
your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of it. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be servant, fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. This morning we're gonna be talking about being transformed by God's mercy, and our main point this morning is this, and I hope you'll write it down. Because of all that God has so mercifully done for us, we freely now and joyfully now give ourselves in love for God and love for others. Main point of this passage 
that Paul's writing to us, if you had to summarize, I really believe this is a good summary. Because of all that God has so mercifully done for you, you now, you now are called with freedom and with joy to give yourself away. To give yourself away in love, in love for God and in love for people. Essentially, it's the greatest commandments that Jesus talked about, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. What does God want from you? He wants something within you. The work that God first wants to do is in your heart. He wants within you for you to love him. Christianity is a relationship of love. It's a religion that's built on this commandment. From the heart of your hearts, love God with all that you are. And secondly, love others as you love yourself. That's what Jesus taught, these two great commandments. And here in Romans chapter 12, Paul's essentially expounding on these basic commandments of love. In light of how God has loved you, in light of the mercy that he has shown you, in light of all that he has done for you, there is now a response for you. And the response involves your heart. And it's going to overflow into every nook and cranny of your life. But from your heart, your response is with the freedom you have and with joy. Offer yourself in love. Give of yourself to love God and to love others. That's it. That's the main point this morning. So um, I want to start by just looking at the basic premise of this point from verse chapter one, and it's the first half of that main point sentence, because of all that God has done so mercifully for you. If you look at Romans chapter 12, verse one, all right, look at your Bible. He says, I appeal to you. So he's kind of begging you. He's, he's saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm asking something of you here. Like, I need your attention for a second. I'm, I'm, I'm asking that you seriously hear me out. Listen to what I'm saying. I, I need you to know something. Therefore, again, every time you see the word therefore in the Bible, you're asking, what is it therefore? He's saying in light of all that I have just presented to you, Romans chapter 1 through 11, in light of all of this, I need to talk to you about something. Therefore, by the mercies of God, he's saying if there's anything that you have heard up to this point is that God has shown you incredible mercy. God has given to you incredible grace. He has withheld from you something you deserve, which is condemnation and judgment and separation. That is his mercy to you. He has not given that to you. He has put that on Jesus. And instead, he has given to you what you do not deserve. That is his grace. All that Jesus deserves, he has chosen to offer to you. 
Do you recognize the mercy of God and the grace of God at work in your life? Do you recognize that everything you have up to this point is owed to God's incredible mercy? By the mercies of God poured out to you, I'm making an appeal. In other words, everything now in your life moving forward, everything in the rest of this chapter and the rest of the book, he's saying, I want you to to build everything in your life on the realities of his mercy. Everybody's got to choose what truths they're going to build their life on. You're going to build your life on something. What truth are you building your life on even now? What is the foundation for the decisions that you make, for the ways that you think, for the ways that you feel? Paul is imploring you, build your life from this point forward on the realities of his mercy towards you in Jesus Christ. Let his mercy so saturate all that you are that from this point forward, you build upon his mercy. Everything is from his mercy and everything is for his mercy. Y'all ever seen Les Mis? Who am I? I'm not an opera singer. Who am I? I'm John Valjean. Y'all ever seen the movie? It's epic. Okay, come on, you guys. It's epic. If you have not seen Les Mis, I invite you to join Michelle and I this year when it comes to the Orpheum, and we will show you a good production. It's on you. The price is on you, but you're welcome to come with us. I I can't pay for everybody, but I think it would be a great church field trip. Anybody with me? Church field trip to the Orpheum. Okay. Um, If you've not seen the musical or the movie, I have not seen the like 10-parter on PBS. I think 10-parters are quite lame. I'm all for the two or three-hour version, okay? But Jean Valjean and the movie, um, which I believe is one of the greatest, it's one of the greatest stories of all time. Um, And you notice I said, have you ever seen the, the play or the movie? I could have mentioned you could read the book too. All right, there is a book. So either you're a book person or a movie person or a play person, whatever. But Jean Valjean and the story, um, early, uh, early on in the story, you see this uh, incredible act of mercy that is shown to him. He being an escaped convict, um, committing more crime, stealing from the very house of a priest that had taken him in to give him shelter, stealing precious things from him, getting caught by the police red-handed with what he stole. The police drag him in in front of the priest. We found him, he he took your stuff. And an incredible act of mercy Rather than saying, oh yeah, he, that's it, those are, my, those are my gold pieces, I can't believe him, take them away. Instead of that, the priest says, essentially, oh, he didn't take them, I, I gave this to him. And he gives him even more, but you forgot the best pieces, and he gives him even more. 
And Jean Valjean is just stunned in the presence of this priest, knowing that his life very well could be taken into captivity and he be sentenced and condemned and potentially put to death. That's what he deserved. But in that moment, being shown such incredible mercy, it touched him so deeply. But more than that, it changed him. And the whole outworking of the story, which is the, the crux of the musical, is this, this man who has been changed by mercy and then who lives the rest of his life out of an understanding that all that he has is because of this mercy shown to him, this grace gift given to him. He is so deeply changed that now the rest of his life is a life spent, go watch the play, showing mercy, displaying this marvelous grace to everyone that he meets. Paul is saying to us, do you recognize you are that man? You are Jean Valjean. You are one who was brought in. You could have been rightfully condemned. You could have been put away. You could have been put to death. And yet you were brought into the presence of a judge who is a priest and a king. And instead of condemning you, he has offered you the opportunity to go free. He has offered forgiveness. He has offered redemption. He has saved your life. And so now, in light of this mercy that you've been shown, go and live your life, but live it building upon the mercy that has been shown to you. Live your life as an extravagant display of this that has been given so graciously to you. In light of the mercy of God, therefore, live this way. Does that make sense? I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies, by the mercies of God. That's why I say the main point, because of all that God has so mercifully done for us. Then the second part of the main point comes, so then, this is how we live. Now we're gonna walk through this morning as we walk through the passage four ways that I believe the transforming mercy of God should, should show up in your life. There are four marks in this passage that I really believe these things should mark the life of the ones who have been transformed by mercy. When you, when you really treasure Jesus, when you really know him, and there's a difference in knowing about him and knowing him. There's, an under, there's a difference of conceptually understanding things and then personally experiencing things. But when you know Jesus, when you really know, like Jean Valjean had that moment, he, he knew. Everything from this point forward was, was just sheer mercy. When that's you, when you really get it, then your life will be marked 
in these four ways, all right? So number one, the first mark of a life that's been transformed by mercy is full surrender. Full surrender. And by full surrender, what I mean is living all of your life, offering yourself fully to God. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Here's number one. This is what I'm getting the first point. To do what? He says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So essentially, he's defining worship for us here. He's saying, worship is when you offer yourself fully to God. We talk about worship sometimes at ICC and we think about worship being like, how great is our God singing with me, right? And we think about songs that we sing. Or we think about music. Anybody listen to Caleb in the car? I'm really sorry, there's better radio stations, okay? Um, I'm just messing with you guys. And I don't mean non-Christian radio stations. There are better Christian radio stations is what I was trying to say. Um, sometimes we think about worship as only music. And yes, singing songs to the Lord is a form of worship, but worship, friends, is so much more than what we do on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for an hour and a half or two hours of time, depending on how long Barrett teaches, okay? Worship is so much more than just showing up at church. We are called to worship, not with just our lips, but with our lives. And what he says is, one of the things you'll realize for those who have been deeply touched by the mercy of God is they will live their lives in worship. Worship being full surrender to God. That is worship, a life of full surrender. Now, interestingly, he uses language here of the temple, okay? So for us, this may sound a little bit weird, for the Jewish here, this would sound a little bit more understandable, so I'm going to try to break it down. He says, present your bodies, all right, we'll come back to this, as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, in the Jewish, uh, among the Jewish people, they would often go to the temple and in their temple, when they went to the temple, in their hands would be some kind of sacrifice. There's different types of offerings we know about in the Old Testament. Um, one of the types of offerings was a sin offering. So he would take this offering in when there was forgiveness needed, blood would be poured out, and that offering would be made for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I do not believe, actually, I, I know that this is not the offering that we're talking about here. Paul doesn't have a sin offering in mind because he's just poured out his heart for you from Romans chapter one through Romans verse, uh, chapter eight, helping you know that the sin offering, God actually made himself. You can't bring anything to get forgiveness of sins. Only God can give that. And God has already made a sin offering on your behalf. In the hands of God, he offered Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus was poured out, not in an earthly temple, although he did come in his flesh and he poured out his blood, but that blood was taken to the heavenly places and poured out in the very presence of God in a heavenly temple. And that blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God, has made atonement for all who trust in him. There is a sin offering, but you're not it. It's Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, right? So, 
That's not what he's talking about here. Another kind of offering, though, people would walk in with what's called a burnt offering, like a whole burnt offering. And what would happen is you would offer a really valuable animal from your flock. It would be uh, completely consecrated, devoted to God. It would be expensive. You're basically saying, like, all that I have is at your disposal. And you're doing it to show that you yourself are completely devoted to God. I believe this is what Paul has in his mind here, is uh, is coming into the temple, coming into the presence of God, and you're wanting to to say thank you to God. You're wanting to give God something that shows that you are his. You want to offer something to God to show you're completely committed to him. What Paul is saying is now in Jesus Christ, You're not bringing an animal from your livestock into the temple. Rather, when you want to offer something to God, here's what to offer. Bring yourself to him. If you want to be completely devoted to him, here's here's what you do. You come into his presence and he says, present your body as a living sacrifice. Interesting, he says, present your body, because to Greco-Roman hearers, you would be brought up to believe the body was somehow bad. Spiritually, spirituality involved your mind, your soul, but it was detached from your body. And Paul is saying, no, worship is not a spiritual thing only. It's also a bodily thing. Remember in Romans chapter 6, he talks again and again about presenting the members of your body. This is an everyday thing. This is an ears thing. This is what you watch on TV and Netflix thing. This is a mouth thing. This is, this is uh, what you do with your, your hands and your feet. This is all of you. Present your bodies, and he says here, as a living sacrifice. What he's pointing out here, see, a dead sacrifice would lose existence. And he's also not saying we should martyr ourselves physically. And he's not saying that we just come to an end and we just sit around and wait for heaven. He's saying, no, we, we, we are very much alive. And with a life that we have, We yield ourselves. It's not an animal anymore in our hands that we're putting to death and offering to the Lord. No, we're bringing ourselves and we're offering ourselves, our very much alive selves in the body. We're offering ourselves to God and we're surrendering ourselves to him. And this is what God desires when we come into his presence is to yield our whole selves to him, to be surrendered to him. This is our act of worship. This is what Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, when he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the son of God who loves me and who gave himself for me. What is he talking about? I've been crucified with Christ. No. Paul wasn't crucified with Christ. Only Jesus was nailed to that cross. He's saying, in relationship with Jesus, I consider myself dead with him. And now the life I live is a new life I live unto him. 
My old self is gone and a new self has come. It's no longer I who live. It's all about Christ. I've gone into the temple, Paul's saying, and I have offered myself. When I trusted Christ, I've seen all that I have is because of his mercy. And now I have yielded myself completely to him. And it's no longer about me. It's all about him. I have considered myself dead to the sinful self of my past and now alive to the spirit of God's work in me. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. Another passage, Jesus commands this himself to us, his disciples. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He said to, to us, to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What is Jesus inviting you to do? He's inviting you to come and die. He's inviting you into the most joyful life imaginable, a life that is built upon God's mercy, that is living, surrendered to him, where it's no longer about me, but it's all about him. Take up your cross, the instrument of execution. How odd for him to say that. How odd for Paul to say, come into the temple, bring an offering that needs to be put to death, but let it be you. (laughs) Come to the end of yourself, the invitation says. In light of the mercy of God, come to the end of yourself and offer yourself wholly to God. Okay, uh, I was in Amsterdam yesterday on a layover and uh, on the way back from India and it was about noon and every single TV in the entire place was fixed to the coronation. Anybody see it? Do we have any British lovers in the room today? Um, We separated from those guys, but we sure still love them and all their pomp and pageantry, okay? Um, Anyway, uh, yesterday, if you didn't know, if you haven't heard, uh, King Charles was coronated and uh, I watched uh, about two hours because what else do you do when you're in the Amsterdam airport in the middle of the day when it's glued on the TV? And uh, so I was fixated on it myself and there were some really interesting things that happened. It was uh, a service that was very steeped in gospel liturgy. Um, just awe-inspiring in many ways, just the scenes of it. It's just, it was just absolutely beautiful. The music, the, the flowers, the pageantry of it all, regardless of what you think about it, it was, it was really beautiful. Um, but there was one point that struck me, and that was when uh, person after person, uh, all the leaders of the churches, uh, the government leaders, like I'm gonna get some of this wrong. If you're British, please don't hate me. Um, and, and even uh, William himself, Charles's son, there was this kneeling bench in front of Charles, he's in this crown and this robe, it looked like something off of Narnia, and there's this kneeling bench in front of him made of silk and it's probably woven in 1600 and something, who knows, and they're all one by one kneeling down in front of the king and paying homage to him. Uh, Claude King, uh, who co-wrote Experiencing God with Henry Blackaby, he spoke here this past summer, he spoke here at ICC, Dear brother, 
in Christ, dear friend of, of Tom Crocker, actually points out um, in one of his books, and I believe he spoke of it when he was here this past summer, how the posture of prayer that we have now in Christianity, the posture of kneeling down and offering your hands up to the Lord in prayer. Everybody familiar with this posture, right? Well, this posture actually does not come from Judaism. It actually comes from medieval times, actually an ancient medieval ceremony where in homage to a king, much like what's happening yesterday in England, a land owner or lord would call all the subjects together and they would pledge their loyalty and their obedience to the king. And the king would hold out his open hands. And essentially what would happen is you would come and you would bow your head like I saw yesterday on TV, even happening 2023, and you would take your hands and you would place them inside the hands of the king. And the statement that would be said was, I am your man. Over and over and over, this was the ancient medieval ceremony. Essentially what you're saying is, I belong to you. Fully, completely, whatever you ask of me, whatever you instruct me to do, whatever you require of me, I am your man. It's a sign of complete and total surrender. What's so interesting is as people came to Christ during this time, what they chose to do was to actually adopt the posture of this ancient medieval ceremony. And in doing so, what they were recognizing was while there is an earthly king who demands my allegiance, there is a king of kings above this one whose name is Jesus Christ. And they thought that there would be no better way to posture themselves in prayer than to offer their hands in this direction, kneeling. Because in doing so, they were reminding themselves that I have a true king whose name is Jesus. He is wonderful and he is everything to me. And in light of the mercy that he has shown to me, as he opens his hands toward me, I now offer my hands and surrender. I place my hands inside of his hands. And I say to him, I am your man. I am your woman. In other words, you're saying, I belong completely to you. Whatever you ask of me, Whatever you desire of me, whatever instructions you give me, I am yours. I offer you, King Jesus, my complete surrender. And that is what this verse is all about. This is what Mephibosheth did as he fell down in the presence of David This is what Isaiah did when he said, woe is me, here I am, Lord. This is what Thomas did when he realized Jesus really did, it was really him, he was raised from the dead and he fell down, my Lord and my God. This is what Mary Magdalene did after she was redeemed, washing Jesus with her very hair. How do you worship Jesus? It's more than just coming in on Sundays for a few hours a week. Jesus 
loves your worship, but here's how you offer worship to Jesus. Offer him your full surrender. Place your open hands and his open hands and give him your yes. This, this is your spiritual worship. In other words, this is the right response to his mercy. This is the only logical response. Anything else, anything other than offering your complete self to him after he's given his complete self to you, it would be irrational. It would not make any sense. Does the mercy of God move you to surrender? One of the key marks of those who know the mercy of God is this kind of surrender. Now, how do you do it? And the answer to how do we do it is in verse two. Because the answer is this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, there's a connection between the worship that we are to offer and then doing what is the will of God. So, full surrender, you gotta know if you're gonna live full surrendered, if your yes is on the table, then your life is gonna look like a life that aligns with God's will, right? Because if your yes is on the table, then whatever God has asked us to do in his word, you're gonna be saying yes to. If your yes is on the table, whatever God leads you to do by his spirit, you are gonna surrender to, right? So therefore, you can't pretend to be one who worships God and at the same time live in open disobedience. There's a connection between the worship that you proclaim to have and the life that you should show lived in obedience to God. Doing the will of God is a reflection of true worship. If your heart's surrendered, your life will be surrendered and you will be conformed in the image of Christ. Now how do we go about doing the will of God? Well, interesting. There's kind of a a choice that we have to make, and it's choice right here, I'll highlight it. So he says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. Now interestingly, this word in the Greek is schema, like a schematic, all right? So like a, a plan, and you're trying to like build it according to the plan. This word is metamorpho in the Greek. This is the word that we get metamorphosis from, all right? So what he's saying is you've got a choice to make. In every moment of every day, you've got a choice to make. How will you think? How will you act? How will you feel? And there's a choice between two things. Either, option number one, being conformed to the pattern of the world, or option number two, being transformed by the Spirit of God. One is an outward thing, schema. Beating yourself into conformity is an outward thing. 
I see stuff in the world, I go after it. I hear stuff in the world, I go after it. I see stuff, I mean, I, I, others pressure me into things and I just give into it. It's an outward thing. Conforming to the pattern of the world. And believe me, the world wants to make you a cookie cutter. The world wants to conform you into its image. But there's another way to live. And this way to live is a transformational way of life. It's not a conforming of outward, it's a transformational of the inward. It's just like a um, caterpillar is wrapped into a cocoon and suddenly, after time, what you realize has happened is inside of that wrapping, in a place that you cannot see, there has been a work done on the inside that when that cocoon breaks and it begins to open up to be exposed to the outside, there is a beauty that is revealed. In the same way, God takes us and he wraps us in his spirit. And there is a work that God does on the inside, transforming us on the inside, such that when it is revealed, there is a beauty that's exposed on the outside. Yes, it ends up coming out, but it's an inside-out thing versus an outside-in thing. And what Paul's urging you to see is there's a choice to make. Will you be conformed to the world or will you be transformed by the Spirit of God? And what he says is a chief mark of those who know the mercy of God is a life of full surrender. A life that is lived in such a way that in these moments of temptation and moments where you're being pressed to think about things according to the world or to act in ways according to what's popular with other people. Uh, moments where you get confusion over decisions or you really are desiring to know what is truth on this subject. That in these moments that you look to Christ and you lean into the Spirit of God and you treasure the gospel, and you seek to know his word, and you seek to know his will, and you surrender yourself to him, and you let the spirit of God do a work in you that seeps out into every area of your life. The first mark of those who know the mercy of God is full surrender. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord and from the Spirit. I wonder today, for those who know you, I mean the real you, does your life look like a life of full surrender to God? 
Does full surrender mark you? Like, if you were to die tomorrow, we were to have a funeral and we were to call people up to share about who they know you to be, what are we going to hear stories about? Are we going to have the opportunity to hear of a man, of a woman, who processes everything in life, who makes decisions in life, who considers opportunities in life, who responds to and reacts to things in life with full surrender to God, deep trust, deep gratitude, deep appreciation, full love for God. Are we going to hear a John John type story from your life? I want to encourage you today. God wants your life to be marked by the fullness of surrender. I have run out of time. Uh, Today is probably because of my jet lag. I spent my whole teaching time on one point. Some of y'all were getting worried about that, weren't you? The good news is I'm teaching the rest of this month and I can make up time. Rather than hold you late today, um, I'll pick up next week, believe me. I have no problem with that. I trust the Spirit of God. Um, I really believe this, what we're talking about right now, is uber important. And rather than me just rush on to get through the chapter, which I can cover next week, I'd rather just stop here and just really invite you to consider what I just proclaimed. I was really moved yesterday, more than I realized watching that, watching that ceremony. And I was thinking, I mean, it's crazy. In 2023, for any person to go to another person and give himself up completely. <laughs> we live in a culture where And in a world today where we're told, don't give yourself away. Be about you. Maintain your rights. Maintain your independence. Don't give up control. We put up all kinds of walls and defensiveness and protectiveness. We are very self-centered people. I was looking at these men and women who were bowing down before Charles. And I was thinking, Charles is not even that great of a guy. Sorry, Charles. We know your past. I mean, Camilla's sitting up there. It's like, we didn't know the, the whole Diana thing. Are you kidding me? You know, like we're proclaiming them and all the splendor. And it's like, these are wrecked people. This is a, this is a messed up family. Let's just call it for what it is. It's messy. So his clothes ain't full of nobody. It's just a man. And these people are bowing down before him and kissing him and pledging allegiance to him. And I'm like, wow. And my defensive mechanism started kicking in and I was like, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) That's ridiculous. But then thinking today, 
We do have a true king, don't we? And this king came to us. And interestingly, he didn't wrap himself in royal regalia. regalia. He didn't hold gold scepters and orbs. He didn't have, I think, he, I think they said Charles yesterday was like a one billion pounds of jewels he was wearing. I was like, just ridiculous. Jesus Christ didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And he wrapped himself in a simple linen garment. And the regalia that he offered was wounds in his side. He was pierced for our transgressions. When he was lifted high, that's how he was roped. Naked, hung upon a cross. Shame, dishonor that belonged to us was on him. He didn't have a majestic earthly appearance that we would look at him and go, wow. But what he did have was what Charles doesn't have, a heart of gold. He was a true king, glorious in every way from the inside out. And he is worthy of honor and love and respect and adoration. He's worthy of that even before he saved us. He's certainly worthy of that now that he has saved us. And he is in heaven today. And there's coming a day that we will see him again and he will be robed in splendor. Aren't you excited for that day? But right now, there is a true king. And some of us live our lives with half-hearted surrender. We like picking and choosing, don't we? What we're going to lay down. We kind of have one knee on the carpet and the other knee in the air. Two, two fingers open and the other's clenched. And yet what Paul's saying here is if, just a starting point. If you want to learn to live this out in light of God's mercy, in light of your true king as a starting point, how about you learn to live in full surrender? You learn to not put one knee down, but to put them both down, and not one finger out and the other closed, but how about you learn to open it all up? How about you learn to live in full surrender to him who gave himself for you? How could you not? Therefore, I appeal to you, in light of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice for this is your spiritual act of worship as we close today if you are able and i know this may sound like a weird ask but if you are able and if there's enough room as we close with our final song of worship i would encourage you to think about taking a posture of kneeling to just In your own body, consider posturing yourself before our true king with your hands open, symbolizing a heart that is surrendered. I would encourage you, if there's some area of your life today where you know that you know that you know you're not surrendered. 
Maybe it's a secret sin. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a decision. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's something about the future, some decision that's coming, and you're scared. If you really offer that to the Lord, you're scared of how he's going to lead you, and so you're keeping control. If there is some area of your life today where you're struggling to surrender, I want you to hear the Spirit of God inviting you this morning in light of his mercy towards you. How, how could you keep any of yourself from him? Hear the Spirit of God inviting you today to worship. God wants more than a song. He's looking into your heart. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.